Well, today is a very significant day, uh, a day uh, which has been celebrated for centuries now, and a day that is all about belief. I'm speaking, of course, of April Fool's Day. <laughs> Did I trick you? How appropriate. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Today happens to be not only Easter Sunday, but the 1st of April too. Did you realise that? April Fool's Day, which is actually a very rare occurrence. In fact, the last time the two celebrations collided was in 1956, that is, 62 years ago. Now, whilst the precise origins of April Fool's Day are debatable, it's, it's certainly been around at least since the 1500s, and over the centuries, countless victims have uh, been sent on phony errands and uh, sat on whoopee cushions and uh, had kick-me signs stuck on their backs. But in modern times, uh, people have gone to great lengths to create quite elaborate April Fool's Day hoaxes, uh, such as in this TV commercial by the American wireless network operator T-Mobile, which was put out, put out on April Fool's Day a couple of years back. Let's have a look at it now. Binge on up, only from T-Mobile. With Binge on up, you can watch what you want during every waking second. And with T-Mobile's blazing fast 4G LTE coverage, you can watch wherever. I love the outdoors. While doing whatever. <laughs> Binge on up lets you unleash your productivity like never before. You can Netflix and chill from anywhere. And it comes with revolutionary features like theater mode, dual view, and real reality. Don't miss a second of what matters most. This is my favorite scene. <laughs> Binge your life away for free. Switch to the Uncarrier and watch what you want, where you want, with Binge On Up, only from T-Mobile. Ah, yes, uh, funny stuff. I know what some of you are thinking, though. Where do I get one? <laughs> uh, the thing about April Fool's Day is you either hate it or you love it. Now, uh, for me personally, well, it all kind of depends on which side of the joke I'm on. You know, because, you know, if I'm the April Fool-er, uh, then it's totally awesome. Uh, but not so much if I'm the one being fooled. Uh, which is why on this day every year, I, I tend to take just a little extra care. You know, I, I, I become just a little more sceptical than usual. And uh, I wonder if you're the same. Well, this morning we're going to look together at a short story from the Bible about one man who has gone down in history for his scepticism. A man by the name of Thomas, or as he's been infamously nicknamed, Doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard of him? Well, it's his story that we're going to look at together now. And uh, to make your life a little bit easier this morning, I've uh, printed out the story for you. You'll find it on the inside of your service program. I mean, I should just let you know, uh, we do also have some left-handed service programs uh, available for you if you're, uh, out in the foyer. Uh, if that's helpful to anybody, please feel free to stand up now and just go out and ask for one out there. <laughs> now, this uh, story of Doubting Thomas comes from a part of the Bible called the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And the events of this story take place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, just after the very first Easter Sunday. Uh, Thomas is uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples 
And he's now heard many of his friends claiming to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Now, this group includes all of Thomas's fellow disciples, except for Judas, of course, who's now dead. Uh, it includes Mary uh, Magdalene, uh, Salome, uh, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, plus two other followers who claim that they met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Thomas has heard all of these trusted friends claim to have seen the risen Jesus. But Thomas has not. And so despite their assurances, his response has been, I don't believe it. And I will not believe it unless I see Jesus in the flesh with my own two eyes. And unless I can actually reach out and touch the the nail holes in his hands and put my hand into the hole in his side left from the Roman soldier's spear. Until then, I refuse to believe. He read with me uh, from verse 24 of the uh, Bible reading inside your service program. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So there you go. Now, uh, fun fact. Uh, This mention of nail marks here is the only reference in the whole Bible to Jesus actually being nailed to the cross. Uh, That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, But it does match up with what we know about Roman crucifixion, which was an awful, awful practice. I mean, a practice reserved for the worst of criminals. Uh, One that usually involved victims being uh, cruelly whipped, even before they were stripped and hung on a cross, where they were then left to to writhe in in agony and and shame, before, before suffocating as a result of exhaustion and and fluid build-up in the lungs. It was an awful, uh, gruesome practice. And Thomas knows for a fact that Jesus died in this horrible, horrible way, that that many witnesses saw him breathe his last, saw his lifeless body buried in the tomb. And, And so now, it seems pretty far-fetched to imagine that this same Jesus is is walking around, you know, as, as the picture of life and health. It goes against everything Thomas knows about the finality of death. He's nobody's fool, so he refuses to believe. Well, one whole week passes, uh, during which uh, time Thomas steadfastly resists all his friends' efforts to convince him. Now, we're not told what that week was like for Thomas But I can only imagine that it was probably the loneliest week of his life. You know, while all his friends are excitedly carrying on like like fools, well, he sat alone in his grief, quietly doubting their sanity. But then it happens. On the first Sunday after Easter, Thomas and, and all the other disciples are meeting together in someone's home. 
with, with the doors locked. No doubt fearful that the, the Jewish leaders will come after them just as they came after Jesus. When suddenly and miraculously, despite the locked doors, Jesus appears among them. I can't help but imagine all the other disciples' faces lighting up with joy as they see their risen Lord Jesus once again. But you know, it's Thomas's face that I would have paid money to see. As he's and Jesus' eyes locked, Thomas must have felt so conflicted, not knowing whether to jump for joy or to sink into the floor from shame. Because Thomas can see in Jesus' eyes that, that he knows, that he, he's heard everything Thomas has said. But Jesus' eyes aren't angry. There's tender love and forgiveness in their gaze. And Jesus holds out his hands toward Thomas, saying, go ahead, touch my star scars and put your hand in my side. See, I really am alive. Now stop your doubting and believe. And it's with that that Thomas's staunch unbelief melts into humble, repentant worship. Here, read with me from verse 26. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. What an electric moment for Thomas and, and for everyone in that room. Now, as to whether Thomas ever did reach out and, and touch Jesus' hands and side, we're not told. But I kind of get the feeling that it wasn't necessary, don't you? Um, that seeing Jesus was, was enough. Because Thomas's reaction here seems to be immediate and, and unambiguous. My Lord and my God... He cries. Now notice that this wasn't just a confession that his friends were right and that he was wrong, but rather a recognition of the profound implications of Jesus' resurrection for him personally. He says, my Lord and my God. You see, there are some truths in life that are merely trivial, that, that have no real profound impact on us, like, like learning that slugs have four noses. Do you know that? It's interesting, isn't it? Or that Mr Potato Head was the first toy to be advertised on TV. Who knew? But then... But then there are some truths that do have profound personal implications. Like when the pregnancy test comes back positive. Or when the doctor tells you that you've got incurable cancer. 
These are truths that change everything. They have profound personal implications. And so it is here now for Thomas, when he suddenly comprehends that Jesus really is back from the grave, it changes everything for him. His life is suddenly filled with new meaning and purpose, with Jesus at the centre of it all. So that, that faith in him and love for him would now define Thomas's life until his dying day. And it's an entirely appropriate response for him to have, don't you think? The right response for Thomas and the right response for all those who'd come after him too. But Jesus now points out one major difference. And that is that whilst Thomas has the benefit of seeing Jesus with his own eyes, those who come after him will not. But nevertheless, they will be blessed as they too put their trust in him. Read with me, verse 29. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, Jesus knew that for the next three and a half weeks or so, he, he would show himself to, to over 500 people, but that then he would ascend to heaven and people would no longer have the benefit of seeing him in the flesh. Which, you see, is why it was so very important to Jesus that Thomas believed. Because he and the other eyewitnesses of the resurrection now had a crucial role to play in God's plan for the world. A plan Jesus had already revealed on the night before his death. When he prayed for his disciples and for those who would be convinced by their testimony. This is what he prayed. He prayed, my prayer is not for them alone, that is for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You see... Jesus appeared to Thomas, not just as an act of grace to him, but for your sake and my sake too. For all the sceptics who would come after him. In other words, Jesus provided this tangible evidence to Thomas so that his conversion from, from stubborn sceptic to, to, to passionate devotee would inspire confident faith in those who would later read for themselves the eyewitnesses' accounts of the New Testament, just as we are doing today. And yet, unfortunately, I must say that there are many people today who, like Thomas, choose to say, unless I see Jesus with my own two eyes, I will not believe. But do you see the problem here? Jesus himself said that that wouldn't happen. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is it, is it ever reasonable to believe things that we haven't seen for ourselves? And of course the answer is yes, isn't it? I mean, could you ever imagine, could you ever imagine a courtroom judge, you know, standing up and saying, oh, da, 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 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I, I didn't see the events with my own two eyes, I, and so I couldn't possibly give a verdict on this matter. Of course not. Of course not. Now, what, what, what does the judge do? Well, he or she looks at the evidence, listens to the testimony of the eyewitnesses, and then gives a verdict. Which I guess is what's so frustrating about some people today who deny that Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that many of them, at least many of the ones that I speak to, haven't even read for themselves the eyewitness accounts left for us in the Bible. I mean, imagine if a courtroom judge did that. You know, I declare him guilty. But Your Honour, we haven't even heard from the key witnesses yet. <laughs> I don't care. Made up my mind. He's guilty. Send him away. Lock him up. Now, any reasonable judge will always first listen to the testimony of those who are close to the scene and, and decide if their accounts sound credible or not. Work out if they have any motivation for lying. And friends, you see, that's exactly what we've got to do now when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Obviously, Thomas and the other witnesses are, are long gone, but, but you know, their testimony is still right here. Uh, preserved for us, unchanged in the pages of the Bible. In fact, did you know that that's exactly why the Gospel of John was written in the first place? It was written for you. That, that you might consider the eyewitness testimony and, like Thomas, make your own personal confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so receive from him the blessing of, of eternal life. Here, read with me these final verses for today from verse 30. Verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, belief... Belief, that's the response to Jesus that the author John wants from you today. He wants you to listen to his testimony and Thomas's testimony and weigh out the evidence and conclude that it's all true. And more than that, he wants you, like Thomas, to comprehend the profound personal implications of Jesus' resurrection. He wants your life to now be filled with new meaning and purpose as you now live with Jesus as your Lord and your God. And according to John, there's a great deal hanging on your decision. Your eternal destiny, in fact. Glorious eternal life with God in heaven or eternal conscious punishment in hell. It's the most important choice you'll ever make. Friend, I know that today is April Fool's Day. A day where it pays to be a little more sceptical than usual. And I believe that scepticism is a good thing. I mean, who wants to be fooled? But then, you know, scepticism 
is only a virtue up until a certain point, after which it becomes mere obstinacy, sometimes with dire consequences. Like back in 1946, when an earthquake struck off the Alaskan coastline, sending a, a tsunami across the Pacific Ocean and towards the big island of Hawaii. Well, in the minutes before the tsunami struck, uh, many people saw the ocean recede and they sounded the alarm. The only problem was, it was April Fool's Day. And many of the people dismissed the warnings of friends and family members as mere pranks. And sadly, in the end, 159 people lost their lives. One young man later reported how, at first, he thought his brother's warning was a joke. And how, in the end, it was only his brother's terror-filled face that convinced him that he wasn't kidding. And thankfully, both brothers got to higher ground and lived. You see, scepticism, it can be a good thing, but only up until a certain point. After which, it's time to believe. Which is why, friend, as I finish today, I want to encourage you to consider afresh the evidence for Jesus' resurrection from the dead. If you're here today and you're already a believer, that's great. Today I want to encourage you to let Thomas's confession strengthen your faith all the more and embolden you to share this message with people around you and to live daily with Jesus as your Lord, whatever he asks, whatever the cost. But if you're here today and you're an Easter sceptic, like Thomas was, then let me ask, are you willing to listen to the testimony of those who were actually there? Are you willing to listen to those witnesses who had absolutely nothing to gain from propagating this story other than persecution, imprisonment and martyrdom? To those who had absolutely no reason to persist in the face of such opposition if they knew it weren't true but who had every reason to do so if they truly believed it and knew that it was good news worth sharing. Friend, in the end, Jesus was able to conquer Thomas's unbelief. And I know that he's able to conquer yours too. So please, won't you make him your Lord and your God today? Or at the very least, won't you take the time to investigate further the eyewitness accounts of those who were there that first Easter? Up on the back resource shelves, uh, just beside the door, I've put uh, a bunch of these little booklets called the Gospel of John. Of course, it's, it's the book from the Bible um, that today's story comes from. And if you're a visitor with us here today and uh, you would like to investigate some more, then I encourage you to take one of these on the way out today as, as a free gift for, from us to you so that you can continue investigating. But friend, no matter who you are here today, 
I hope that you can see that the truth of Jesus' resurrection is so much more than just mere trivia. That it's a matter of eternal life and death. That it has the most profound personal implications. So friend, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled on this Easter Sunday, April Fool's Day. Rather like Thomas, let the truth of the risen Jesus overcome your unbelief today. And let it now flood your life with the joy and meaning and purpose that come from him alone. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we want to thank you so much for how on that first Easter Sunday you rose from the dead and and showed yourself to to many reliable witnesses. Thank you uh, that their testimony has come to us in the pages of the Bible. Uh, Jesus, we are humbled as we consider the implications of your victory over the grave of how it reveals you to be the Lord and God of this universe, our Lord and our God. Lord Jesus, just as as you were patient and kind with Thomas in his unbelief, uh, please be patient and kind to those here today who are yet to put their trust in you. Please conquer their unbelief, just as you did in Thomas. And please fill us all with, with joy this Easter, as we wholeheartedly follow you, our risen Lord and Saviour. Amen.